0: Welcome to Dot Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is usually a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's, his Dark Materials novels, chapter at a time, spoiler free.
1: But in this special episode, we're talking about our thoughts on Northern Lights as a whole, because we finished it. We <laughs> finished
0: I think, I think. It feels like ages since we recorded. We've and had it...
1: our first two-week gap for a really long time.
0: Yeah, because, well, not for you guys, because we put the Joel episode out last week, but for us, we actually recorded that interview a little while ago and saved it for that week. So for mm-hmm. us, we had a little break. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, we hope you enjoyed the Joel interview because it was super great to speak to to speak to him. He was so lovely, as everyone has been, and as we keep saying. But yeah, I really enjoyed that interview. It was it was different from the ones that we'd done before, so I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, it was super interesting to talk to. It was good. <laughs> That's I have words. It was
0: good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I think like it was different because like he gave us more of a like overarching view of the. The project as a whole like rather than going into that like granular detail that we went into with like say Russell um yeah. and Dan and Colleen um so that was kind of cool to like learn how it came to be really
1: yeah more like insight into the workings of the creative process as
0: compared to like the specifics it was really good mm. yes it was it was and then I, I was trying to think like what else have we got going on? And I was like, oh, we're doing a break soon. Yeah. In a, couple, in a couple of weeks. We've still got a few more episodes to go before we do the break. So saying that we've got two episodes left before a break reminds me of the fact that we are doing a watch along of the Golden Compass film with our patrons. So we are doing that on Saturday, the 1st of August at 10 p.m. BST. So that's British summertime. If you want to join us, And you're not already a patron, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod and we're going to be doing it in our Discord channel and we're just all going to hit play together and just chat because it'll be the first time that I've ever seen it. I'm so excited for you to see it for the first time. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm so excited.
1: And just, I'm just excited for that moment that provided we all do a really good job of pressing play at the same time, that that everyone gets to have those that moment of like shouting at the group like oh this is happening now oh it's this bit I love that <laughs> it's totally. a simple pleasures
0: <laughs> absolutely I think um Charlie mentioned that I should do a do you know uh Kristen Russo and Joanna Robinson have done that podcast and it's like feels like the first time and it's uh Kristen has basically not seen a bunch of films that loads of people have seen like so like they did one on Lord of Lord of the Rings and she had loads of like pre-existing like assumptions of what happened in Lord of the Rings and then they watched it and see like saw how close her assumptions were and Charlie was like you should do that for the golden compass so I'm thinking, if I remember I'm thinking maybe like half an hour before we hit hit play I might write my assumptions down in uh, the discord or like the things that I've learned over the years about it and through doing this as well like
1: I'm totally gonna gonna try and do the same except for because it's been probably it's, it's like a lot of years like at least five or six years since I've last watched it, so and I am one of the many folks who is,
0: who is potentially like quite livid about it to be honest, <laughs> after having loved the books. I wonder if it, it. I wonder if you'll change your mind now that you've grown up a bit more and like made your peace with it. I'm so interested to see if I have because what I remember is probably
1: super different from how it actually is. Mm. So yeah, yeah. I, might, I might write down what I think I remember and find out how bad my memory is. <laughs> the answer is
0: really bad, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, if you want to get in on that, join us on Patreon. You can pledge at any level uh, and you'll get into the Discord. And yeah, join us. It'll be fun. Woo. Speaking of Patreon,
1: we have a very special shout out to our brand new Alethiometrist level patron, Yay. who is Jess hi jess.
0: jess hi thank jess. you so much <laughs> yeah thank you thank you so much we appreciate you and oh just the just the choice that you've made to to give us some of your hard-earned money is so we're so grateful for it and so thankful and yeah thank you yes yes we're
1: putting it all towards exciting things to try and make the podcast and the little patreon community that we're building better and more interesting and some, do some fun stuff for everybody and it's very exciting and just honestly I feel like maybe I ought to start filming it or recording it whenever I, I should be like press record on your phone now Faye, and then send your message to be like we got a new patron because we're both always <laughs> like
0: ah! <laughs> yeah we are every time it's like one of us will see it straight away and text the other one straight away and it's like ah, yeah
1: yay, quite amazing. often I'm typing a message to you That is, oh my God, we've got a new patron. And then you'll send me a message before I finish (laughs) typing because I'm the queen of typos and I just haven't written any of the correct words because I'm too excited. (laughs) And then you'll send me a very correctly worded message that's
0: like, we have a new patron. (laughs) Oh, well, you say that, but my brain has been so frazzled recently that my typos are also all over the place. Like I can't make my brain work in any kind of capacity that's not work-related, like as in my actual job because it's so fucking busy at the minute and life's just like gotten busy again and I'm like anything that I need to use my brain for like outside of work and the podcast I'm like can't do it so I'll be like mm-hmm. messaging friends like <laughs> I, and then I'll read it back and I'll be like I have no idea what I just said like that makes no sense at all oh, God.
1: that's like me whenever I try to read my own handwriting like, <laughs> oh me too no chance unless I'm trying really hard to make it nice and even then even then it's not always great
0: Uh, Yeah, I totally shot myself in the foot with this podcast, because I write all my notes down in a notebook, because I was like, oh, I already stare at a screen all day for my job. I don't want to do that. And then, like, there's so many times when we're recording the podcast that we have to cut it out, because I can't read my own handwriting. And I'm like, I've got a note here that says, "Mm, I have no idea what it says, because I can't (laughs) read my own fucking handwriting.
1: (laughs) You should see, I went through, like, maybe, like, on the first few chapters, because I make my notes on my computer, but I also... (laughs) On the first few chapters, I went through and I, like, formatted them and I spell-checked them and I made sure they all made sense. Now, it is a page of my notes. is uh, riddled with little red squiggles from where I've just mistyped a word and I can't be bothered to go yeah. back because I think I know what it
0: was. <laughs> I get that. I totally get that. Oh, yeah. we're messy. We're messy bitches. <laughs> I might re- just reiterate that we are going on a little break soon just a little one so we're doing this episode and then next week we'll be doing the episode on the lantern slide that's included in the omnibus version of his materials the first one and then we're doing the golden compass one so we're doing that watch along with our patrons but we're also doing an extra episode on it as well so after that golden compass episode that we're doing uh we're having a break and we are coming back on the 21st of september yeah, kind of like schools. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And I mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again. Um, we're going to be going back to bi-weekly when we start the subtle knife. So you'll only hear from us once every other week. Because also we're going to get we're gearing up for the TV show because that starts in November, and we don't want to do you, wait, it's just too much work to do a weekly episode and the tv show episode as well this is the thing
1: so we're saying it's like it's bi-weekly but really when the tv show starts you end up getting one a week and then every other week you get two yeah because <laughs> yeah we like to overfill our plates in uh in this room we do it's gonna be great <laughs> what would your demon have been this week what was your what was what would your wrap-up demon be
0: for how you felt about the book as a whole (laughs) oh my (laughs) fucking god i have also not prepared a demon at all because i I was like i didn't think i didn't know whether we'd be doing it or not so uh what what my demon be for the entirety of northern lights because this is the thing
1: i think i don't know whether we we kind of don't really reiterate it like we are aware demons like we are grown adult women and we know our demons wouldn't still be changing but Mm. we like to imagine if our whole lives had been like the week that we've just had what it would be like um yeah but now I'm like what if your demon represented not just the last week of your life but like, yeah the podcasting experience so far oh (laughs) Oh my my god God.
0: what a deep (laughs) question um I feel like it would be something, if I could describe in words the podcasting experience so far, it's been like such a mixture of things. It's been fucking amazing and joyful and hilarious and exciting. But then on the other hand, it's been stressful and it's made me feel like super frantic at times. And... It's it's always quite um daunt- it's been quite daunting as well because it's always daunting like learning a new skill because like we both had no idea what we were doing when we first started and like we still don't really know what we're doing but we kind of just wing it and like we've gotten better at editing audio and and scheduling episodes and editing them together and doing mixing and mastering and all that kind of stuff and having like a social media presence. Him and things like that, and yeah. So I don't know, like, what animal would encompass all of that?
1: <laughs> What's like the best animal <laughs> <laughs> overall, the most competent animal, but that isn't like smug about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> <So> we've d- <laughs> like we've been coping surprisingly well. Yeah, we. Have. But also, we're very aware we're not
0: like. We're not claiming to be NPR or some shit. <laughs> like, we know what we are. Uh, Aren't like I'm trying to think of like an animal that like does a really good job at being that particular animal, but like like you said, isn't really like isn't a dick about it. <laughs> yeah, and like isn't really recognised for. It. I I, so I was thinking about beavers because like beavers, they build their little dams and they get on with their life and they're really useful, and also they're cute, and they've got big teeth, and I've got big teeth, so...
1: (laughs) (laughs) I asked this question. I have no idea what my answer to this question is either, so that's fun.
0: I'm sure there's definitely a more, like, useful animal, um, but I just couldn't think of one, so I'm just going to say a beaver. (laughs) Hey, Faye, mine would have been a buckworm! Ah.
1: (laughs) Wow. Right? Wow. (laughs) 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 I'm really good at this <laughs> uh, I, mean, I don't know if you know a bookworm's real I don't know I think you probably get some kind of horrible page mites and things like that <laughs> but I don't really want Great. to be one of those so no. I would quite happily be anyway pan turned into a dragon in chapter three I don't true. even be do whatever the fuck I want <laughs> true 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 but yeah this is the most I've gotten back into reading a book in a really long time like I went through a phase of not reading a lot or reading a lot of stuff on my phone, or reading a lot of graphic novels, which obviously do count, but it's not quite the same as diving into a novel. And it's, I've never enjoyed, it, I've never enjoyed English Lit particularly. Mm. And this is like the most I've gotten into, like analyzing a book that's beloved to me and like re- reading a book so, like combing through it.
0: Yeah.
1: That I never really thought, would have thought that that would be something I would choose to do. But here we are, and I've really fucking enjoyed it. So, yeah, my demon's definitely a little
0: bookworm because it's fucking loving life. (laughs) That's cute. Yes. I imagine the little worm that comes out of, like, James and the Giant Peach and shit like that, just, like, a a really cute little worm with a little smiley face, maybe with some glasses on or something.
1: I was thinking about the little fluffy guy from Labyrinth. He's
0: like, hello. She's like, oh, did you say hello? No, I said hello. (laughs) That's the film that I've only ever seen in Four Quarters with music on over the top of it, right? Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's so good. You should watch it.
0: <laughs> Rich and I and our friends went to an 80s night at a bar called Four Quarters. God, that was this year. Can you believe? That was this year, but it feels like many moons ago yeah. because it was pre-lockdown. <laughs> yeah. And they were just playing Labyrinth over and over again in the background. So I've actually seen it like twice or three times, but with no words, just music yeah. over the top. <laughs> Shall we uh, Shall we get into this episode? Oh my gosh, let's do it. It's okay.
1: a brand new world. Here we are. Let's think back to chapter
0: one, mm. when we didn't even know what a demon was properly. I know, right? How weird. How strange. It's also just from like a podcasting perspective as well. It's really strange to, because we both read the book before and obviously where there's a lot of people that haven't that are listening and we d- we decided to do no spoilers, which I think is the right choice because nobody likes a spoiler. Um, It's really weird to then like open the book and start reading it and then see things like demon and, and dust and be like, hmm, hmm, what are those things? Even though we fully know what they are. Like it's yeah. strange, right?
1: By the time you reach the end of the book, it's such an integrated part of the world. And you just have this kind of like innate knowledge of like, well, of course, this is what a demon is. But aside from the very like the tiny description at the very beginning that tells you how to pronounce the word, Mm -hmm. there isn't really a proper description of demons. I don't know if in other editions it explains it more clearly, like before it starts. But this literally just says... The word demon, which appears throughout the book, is to be pronounced like the English word demon. And that's it. There's no additional information on what a demon even is. So it takes like a couple of chapters for you to even really realize what's going on. I love that Philip isn't just like, I'm just going to explain a premise to you before we start.
0: Yeah, And he just like drops you straight into that world. I love it. Exactly. But then I think that's that's what makes it so... um, easier to get on board with it because they're just there and you just accept it so it's like okay we know how to pronounce it and then in the first page we learn that lyra has a demon called Pantalaimon. so mm. it's like cool okay don't know what that is yet Note that we don't get a fun note on how yeah. to pronounce that so Pantalaimon, yeah. Pantalaimon, <laughs> whatever but it's kind of just like there straight away and you just assume that you'll learn more about it so you just accept it straight away Rather than it being like you said, if it was a thing where it's like, and Lyra had a demon, and demons meant this, and demons meant that, blah blah blah, it might be harder to integrate it into your brain straight away rather than it just being shoved in your face and being like, this is what happens in this world. Get used to it. Definitely. Speaking of, it might be a good uh, place to read that note about what Philip Pullman says about demons in here in this big book. Fay has an excellent
1: book that is like an encyclopedia of his Dark Materials. It just covers the. The trilogy, the first trilogy, right? Yes. But it uh, is
0: thicker than the <laughs> thickest of those three books. <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, it's a lot. Zach, uh, our friend Zach bought it, me. It's called The Definitive Guide to Philip Holman's His Dark Materials and it's by Laurie Frost, if you wanted to have a look. I feel like this book is going to be really useful going forwards when we're,
1: like, halfway through this little knife and we're trying to remember something from Northern Lights you can just look it up really quick. If you're like, oh, that name sounds familiar. Do we know them? We can just be like, snap, this guy. I'm excited for that.
0: (laughs) Okay, so in this book, it says, this is a little bit about um, Philip Pullman and demons. It says, in a 2001 profile, Pullman told Catherine Adronic that his notion of the demon-human bond was strengthened by his response to this painting. So the painting is Lady with an er- Lady with an Ermine by Leonardo da Vinci, 1485. So have a Google at that because it's just a lovely lady holding an ermine. Also, is it ermine or ermine? I would say ermine, but I, I don't know. I pronounced a stuff go- wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to go with ermine. So he says of this picture there's a real connection between the girl and the animal, that is her demon. And he adds, if you made a few small alterations, that girl could be Lyra. And he then said that he now collects images that captures this bond. And as the programme for the National Theatre's 2003 season production of Historic Materials observes, Philip Pullman considers that previously unrecognised demons have appeared in portraits throughout the ages, it's illustrated with six other examples, including William Hogarth's self-portrait with his dog Trump, Tiepolo's young woman with macaw, and a medieval woodcut of a boy and a wolf. So I it's interesting, it. yeah, because you can tell that he put some thought into it, and I just really like that he kind of saw this painting and he was like, "That woman has got a connection with that animal." Like, what? I don't know if that. I don't know if he'd already thought of the concept of a demon before he, he saw that image. But it's nice to know that he kind of saw it and thought there's definitely a connection between those two entities. When Philip
1: Pullman is asked what his demon would be, he always says a magpie because he's a thief and he loves to steal things. And I just love the idea of him existing as this giant magpie slash sponge and just absorbing ideas from the world around him. And that's why we see him pulling from so many different cultures and stuff. And I love the the idea that demons are pulled from like textual stuff that exists in our world Mm. and like this visual representations that he's just like I feel something deeper about this image I feel like I'm seeing something more than just
0: somebody holding a pet and I know that I want to write about it that's so fucking cool so cool on that note as well actually it might be interesting to talk about the tweets that Philip Pullman did when he did that ask me anything on Twitter for Northern Lights 25th anniversary so if you don't follow us on twitter you probably won't have seen but or instagram but we asked philip a bunch of questions on twitter and he replied to us and we lost our minds one of the the first thing that we asked him actually was who what or who inspired lyra as a character and he said hello which i thought was really sweet (laughs) it's like phil (laughs) phil right i just like fired off a bunch of questions because I was like, he's going to be getting so many. Like, he's just going to be trying to answer as many as he can. So then afterwards, I felt bad because I didn't say, hi, Phil, thanks for the amazing book. I just put who or what inspired Lyra as a character. There was no pleasantries. So like when he answered and said, hello, I was like, oh, I should have said hello. Maybe he was like, (laughs) hello.
1: You're not reading the level of sass into it that I
0: am. (laughs) Yeah, how fucking dare you? Oh, God. So... He said, Hello, not one girl in particular, but several among the pupils I used to teach. There's a Lyra in every class, in every school, maybe more. I love it so much. Like, like it made my heart, like, swell and soar. Like, I was like, this is the cutest thing, like, the sweetest, most amazing thing that, like, he used to be a teacher and he's seen so many Lyras throughout his life. That he's taught and probably like you said with him being like a bit of a magpie like pulled in those like references from these different libraries that he's taught and it's just uh, just amazing i love the oh,
1: idea okay. that there could be a liar in every classroom which also makes me think i'm surprised i haven't done it more throughout this book but i suspect it will happen more as the book's continuing as we see Lyra progresses as a person, but the parallels between Lyra being this person chosen by Destiny and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. Because yes. the idea of in season seven, if you've not watched it, like sing la 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 for the next few seconds, yeah. um, there being like in almost any setting, there is a potential slayer who is like in the lineage of slayers, like everybody who has that potential could be a Slayer, could be a Lyra, like, you you too could be this, like, strong, powerful person, and it's kind totally. it's just so exciting, and it's like,
0: the world is brimming with opportunities. <laughs> I think it's like, yeah, no, absolutely, and I completely agree with you, like, Buffy and Lyra are so similar, they are both, one of the things that I like the most about Buffy, and now Lyra, is that they are both flawed, so oh, they're both- so flawed. Yeah. And that's so interesting to see and read because you don't get that with a lot of women. You get it more nowadays, but like back in the day when like Buffy was on TV and when these books first came out, you got you got the prim and proper perfect woman or you got the absolute like shit show of a woman and there was like no in between. Mm. But like you can get behind Lyra and Buffy and then some episodes of Buffy are like, fucking hell, Buffy, you're being an absolute twat. So like both of them
1: have exhibited very clearly that they are selfish friends. So like we see throughout the first book, Lyra consistently like forgetting about Roger, referring to him as the kitchen boy when we know he's more than that. And like being quite like very much centering herself. I mean, everyone should be the protagonist of their own story, but it's not, it's also not the best quality to lead with and you can see it so much especially in the first part of the book before lyra kind of becomes more worldly that she she is 100% the hero in her own story and 100% just willing to lie about it and being like the leader of her friends and is quite arrogant and buffy has a lot of that in her because she's got this i'm chosen the difference between them i guess is that lyra cannot know she is in some way special there's all these prophecies the witches talk about About Lyra, but Lyra can never know. Whereas Buffy is like, You are chosen. There are prophecies about you, and she's aware that the weight of the world is on her shoulders.
0: Whereas Lyra isn't, but they
1: still have really similar levels of like hubris. (laughs) Totally.
0: Yeah. And I really like as well how they both say what they think and don't, because this is one of my personal like flaws that I see in myself is that I can be too nice sometimes. Do you know, like, you need something, and you need it in the moment, and we've seen Lyra, like, say to Yorick, like, I need you to take me to Roger now, or I need you to take me to Asriel now, and she's done it with other people within the books, and Buffy does that all the time in Buffy, she knows what she wants, and she knows how she has to get it, me, I'm like, mm, excuse me, like, would it be possible for you for you to help me just with this one thing, like, really quickly, quickly? and like, don't worry if you can't, because, like, I totally understand, like, I know you're busy, where it's like, actually... I need this shit from you now, which is what I should just say, but I never do. And I really admire that in Buffy and Lyra. And I am really looking forward to, as obviously listening folks, you might have guessed, me and Rachel are huge Buffy fans. To like draw in that.
1: Also, can I just say we're both wearing Buffy themed <laughs> we really t-shirts are. right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we actually are amazing. nerds, <laughs> and we didn't even plan it. Such nerds. Nah. <laughs> um, but yeah, as Lyra gets older throughout these books, I'm looking forward to like drawing that comparison more because I think there's such there there are such similarities between them and that's why I admire both of them as characters a lot because they're flawed and I fucking love to see that shit I love it definitely I I really love that on this read-through
1: I because I think on my very first read-through as someone that wasn't too far from age. heavily identified with Lyra in the same way that most young kids heavily identify with the protagonist of whatever book they're reading and as a young girl I was like oh my god yes like a small gobby girl who loves telling stories who loves lying who's a bit of a mess and gets dirty knees and doesn't like care about anything like it's me I was so excited to have this like representation in this book that I felt like a real kinship to and then reading it through again this time some of Lyra's behaviors and some of the ways that she is very like self-centered or just like bald-faced lying in a way that's like she thinks she's super sly and it's really really obvious speak to me in a way that hits that like cringe center of my nervous system that is like oh I definitely see a young myself in Lyra but because I've grown up a bit I I find some of those behaviors cringeworthy now thinking about like when she lies bald-facedly in a way that's just like too obvious or when she's melodramatic in a way that I think she thinks is like amazing and heroic and actually it's like a 12 year old being melodramatic and I kind of love that in this second like this like stepped away viewing of it where I'm so far from the protagonist I kind of want to like sweep her up and look after her in the same way I would probably want to do for myself at that age yeah totally yeah
0: it, it it's also a testament to uh, to Phil again our Phil in the fact that he's really that just proves how good he is at writing children because like as a child you identified with Lyra and you kind of didn't see maybe those like cringe bits that you were saying before, all the all those bits that maybe don't paint her in the best light. But now as an adult, you read it again and you're like, oh yeah, shit. Like actually she's been like totally transparent in this certain scene or whatever. A bit of a and, brat right now. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, that's just a testament to, to Philip.
1: How has this read-through been for you compared to your first one? Because I know you're quite a fast reader you tend to like whip through a book really quickly post a quick review online and then um (laughs) move on to the next one how has it been for you the process of like only getting to read a chapter a week and you read every chapter twice don't you yes yeah how's that been
0: I have really enjoyed it it actually made me realize how little I took in like during my first read-through and like how much I skimmed past things that like I either didn't understand or couldn't be bothered to think more about in the moment, which I think is because, like you said, because I read so fast a lot of the time that stuff doesn't go over my head. But I kind of think to myself, "Oh, do I need to know about this now? Like, do I need to think about these bigger themes? Like, probably not. I'm just reading this book, and it'll probably come out if it's important. It'll probably come up again in a, in another chapter or another book in the trilogy or whatever." Um, but yeah, reading everything like twice has really made me think more about the intricacy of like how it's all been put together like how fucking complicated it is because it's so complicated it's it's been super it's also it's been really helpful for my understanding of the trilogy as a whole and it actually makes me look forward to when we get to uh the books of dust because especially the secret commonwealth because I spoke about this before on this podcast, I didn't love it. Um, It wasn't my fave of the books in the the universes at all. So I'm interested to go back through that chapter by chapter, reading it really closely, because it might bring up some new feelings and thoughts about what I'm reading, because I read that quite quickly as well. But yeah, I fucking loved it. I thought it was great. I thought so much more about the plot, characters and themes than I've really ever done with any book I think because I read Harry Potter drink a million times when I was younger <laughs> you kind of don't have a choice if you read something so many times you don't really have a choice other than to think about the themes and the overarching story and all that kind of stuff because you're reading it so many times that they're, that stuff is bound to seep in at some point point. Um, and it kind of makes me happy that I've read this now in so much detail that the things that I would have. Because if we were doing this podcast, I don't know if I would have read the books again. And it, it, I'm like, I'm glad that I've given my chan- myself a chance to like, go back through it properly. I'm a serial rereader. So I 100% know that once we finish this
1: podcast, I will be reading the books again. Like I will. They're my comfort food. And I, I struggle with new things. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm far more likely to pick these
0: up than like start a new series in a new world because I love slipping back into this world. But yeah, I'm hoping that um, because I've read every chapter twice, I have a really terrible memory. So I'm hoping that some of it sticks in my brain at least this time around.
1: (laughs) Well, you've always got the podcast to re listen to (laughs) if you need to drop your
0: memory. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? Because you've come at at it from the complete opposite to me. Like you read these books growing up. You've read them a million times over the years. You grew up with Lyra and now you're reading it in a way that's, kind of analytical even though we both don't like English lit we can't deny that we might not be the the most like in-depth researchers or in-depth and analyzers but we are reading it in an analytical sense so like how how is that for you? I am 100% guilty of misremembering
1: a lot of stuff I definitely thought some stuff happened that didn't happen perhaps I'm remembering a moment from further forwards in the books and thinking it happened in this book and like there's lots of like little stuff that I thought happened that didn't happen or that I completely forgot about that happened and it's really interesting to go back through it in such detail because I think like the tapestry that is the world of this trilogy specifically the first like trilogy as a whole is kind of like interwoven into my life through the various stages at which I've read it and it just feels like one big tapestry now. There's like one huge story. And I definitely have like read the first book more than I've read the second book more than I've read the third book, if that makes sense. Because quite often on my rereads, I'll like get distracted by something shiny. I won't always finish the trilogy. Um, so the first book definitely feels like coming home again. But reading through it in a more analytical way is just so alien to me and has completely changed the way I've read them and changed the way I've approached a lot of the characters I think I definitely was not a hardcore as hater <laughs> until you came along
2: <laughs> wow. but
1: um because I would very much slip back into that how it felt reading the books when I was younger and I didn't think oh what do I think of this as a grown woman reading it now it just felt like I was like taking a trip back to the past and like rereading this lovely book I read when I was young kind of thing so it's really interesting to read them again. I do hope that people aren't here for like intense literary analysis, there, <laughs>
0: because
1: i are feel definitely right. just two friends that chat shit about books.
0: <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. I feel like people, if they've got this far, they know that by now that that's not us.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, what? Do, one of my questions on the list is, what did we misremember about the books, or where were the sections we forgot about that surprised us? And now I've said it out loud just before, I've realized I cannot think of a single instance where that happened. So, <laughs> Aside from maybe like the demon, the guillotine itself, I'd accidentally amalgamated the one in the book and the one in the movie in my head.
0: Right, yeah. From how they're described. I think like for me, there wasn't like one particular section that I forgot about, uh, but I don't remember Far decorum or John Farr. Having like such big parts in the book, or like having that much of an impact on me, it when I read it before, because if you think about it, they are obviously huge characters in the books, but they're only around for a few chapters, really. We don't see that much of them, but they do like make a big impression. But I think like when I read it the first time, I didn't think that much about them. I was just like, yeah, okay. And then coming back to it this time, I'm like, oh wow, actually, I'd die for Father Corum, sir. So like where was that in the first book (laughs) in the first read through oh
1: definitely (laughs) it's interesting because vada like again he kind of only physically appears in like a handful of chapters but we know that like his ties to other people are so strong as well because like Mm. after lyra's waved goodbye to him we're interacting with seraphina peckler and we know how much he meant to her yeah so there is like, everything comes back to far decorum. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I'm obsessed. I fucking love him so much. Oh, also, God. I'm really here for, like, male role models and family figures in Lyra's life that aren't as real. Me too. Me because too. Because I'm super here for The Master and The Librarian. I've yep. never read them before as a queer couple, but I'm super here for it after thinking about them chatting about Lyra and how concerned they are for her in the... Ugh yeah in their little like drinking chairs and their little offices and like i just i love it mm. and i definitely never had a soft spot for the master before but i mm. can relate a lot more to him yeah. so i was definitely like oh he cr- he tried to kill azriel like oh he's not a very nice guy and lyra's still really suspicious of him and like wary of him as this like authority figure who would be the guy to tell her off if she like climbed on the roofs yeah. And so you take on that impression Lyra has of him. But like thinking back now, I'm like, oh, he cared so much for her. And
0: he had so little control over the circumstances. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Uh, <laughs> we've got like a question that's like, it's kind of, it kind of goes into this question about like what's, what we misremembered or like what we we came to this time that, um, that changed for us or like what stood out to us in particular. And... I just keep thinking about Lee Scoresby and, and how hot I think Lee is. And like <laughs> I would never like when I first read it, like that is not something that would have entered my brain at all. And then I think it's since uh since Lynn has been playing him, I'm like uh okay yeah Lee Scorsby's hot now and like whenever I read it I'm like I can't believe I think Lee Scorsby's hot and there's that bit in um I think it's in armor where he's like laid on like fucking nonchalantly nonchalantly. yeah Yeah. oh god (laughs) I'm like oh my god
1: I just need to (laughs) I love it because there's such a mixed reaction out in the world to Lin-Manuel Miranda playing Lee Scorsby and I definitely it took me a bit to get on board because the image I had in my head was heavily influenced by the Golden Compass film. So I'm really excited to see your reaction to Lee because I think, again, reading it as a child, I read adult and assumed older, I think. Whereas reading it now, I'm going, Lee Scoresby, it's probably not that many years apart from us Yeah, and therefore has the potential to be hot. Not that old people can't be hot. Like There's such a thing <laughs> as a
0: silver fox, but... <laughs> Look, right, Lee Scoresby is hot and I will fucking die on this hill. And I... <laughs> I'm obsessed with Lynn as Lee, and I understand everyone has their opinions, but he was one of the highlights of the entire series for me. I fucking loved his portrayal. I thought it was fucking great. And also, can I just say that Lynn follows us on Twitter? I had to get that in somewhere.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did Guys. freak out
0: a little bit. Hi, Lynn. if you ever listened to the Lin. podcast? <laughs> hi, Lynn. Hi. Look, Philip did that A that we mentioned. And I tweet, Lynn got involved and we tweeted Lynn saying, you were perfect as as Lee Scoresby. And then Philip Pullman retweeted that saying, yes, you were perfect. And then Lynn retweeted that and it all went off onto a big retweeting thing. And then Lynn followed us and he's liked some of our tweets and I can't get over it. And I'm so happy about it. Like, can you remember when we were doing the TV show episodes, we were like, can you, can you imagine if Lynn ever noticed us? We got there,
1: bit. He's noticed us. Exactly.
0: He knows we exist.
1: I'm currently trying to find that first description of Lee Scoresby to debunk anyone says that a younger guy cannot yes. play him
0: because it 100% describes him as hot. Right. While Rich is finding that, I just want to read you the bit with him being hot on the armour. So, okay. <laughs> so if you remember, guys, cast your mind back to armour. The chapter where Yorick has found his armor. He's gone into that little churchy bit, and he's stolen his armor back, and he's put it on, and he's majestic. And then he's done, and he takes it off, and he goes for a little swim in the sea, and he brings that back the seal, and he starts like rubbing it all over his armor. But before he does that, all the like people on the on Trollsund come down. And they think they're going to steal the armor back. But before they get a chance to, this is what happens. So, sitting on the bear's armor with one ankle resting on the opposite knee was a long-limbed form of Lee Scoresby, and in his hand was the longest pistol Lyra had ever seen, casually pointing at the ample stomach of the Sisselman. "'Seems to me you ain't taking very good care of my friend's armor," he said conversationally. "'Why? Look at the rust. "'And I wouldn't be surprised to find moths in it too. "'Now you just stand where you are, still and easy, "'and don't anybody move till the bear comes back with some lubrication. "'Ooh, or I guess you could all go home and read the newspaper. "'It's up to you.'" Hot! He's fucking hot! (laughs) Here we go. Here we go.
1: (laughs) She looked at the newcomer with surprise. This is just the intro, the first description we ever get of Lee's Scoresby. He was a tall, lean man with a thin black moustache and narrow blue eyes and a perpetual expression of distant and sardonic amusement. She felt strongly about him at once, but she wasn't sure whether it was liking she felt or dislike. His demon was a, was a hair as shabby and thin looking as he was. Okay, so it does describe him as shabby and thin looking, but also that's totally my type. <laughs>
0: Same. <laughs> Yeah it says he's like dark with a
1: moustache. Yeah which like how if you then translate that to the Golden Compass film which I think is the image that a lot of people have it is he is silver haired in that which is not the description in the books. Not that we can harp on about the description in the books because we know for a fact that they (laughs) change around. Yeah. As evidenced by Mrs. Coulter and her hair (laughs) or Mark Oster's dog demon that miraculously changes into a bird that licks pan (laughs) amazing
0: we love it but yeah I just got really excited about Lee being hot and Lynn and I would actually genuinely be embarrassed if Lynn ever listened to this episode hi Lynn (laughs) brilliant (laughs) (laughs) it's so interesting though how you
1: relate to a character reading mm -hmm. through this time around as well like feeling yeah. stronger about lee scoresby because I, I don't think i ever had a super i always thought he was cool i don't think i ever had a strong opinion about him mm. but like especially when he's having the conversation in the balloon with seraphina peckler totally. and you get to kind of understand more about his motivations and like wants as just a human existing in the world wanting to be free to make his own decisions and wanting to like retire well and have a nice life but he clearly enjoys the freedom of the balloon and you get the little impression that he's a little bit insecure because Mm. he's kind of fronting a little bit with Serafina and kind of pretending like he doesn't care as much as he does but then you see the warmth that he feels for Lyra and he rescues her in the balloon and like there's just... I feel like reading through in this slower fashion has allowed me to read so much more nuance into the characters that I think I always thought of as quite periphery. Even yeah. if I did like love them as a character, now I kind of see them as a far more fleshed out person.
0: Totally. And with Lee as well, like we spoke in that in that chapter where he's talking, I think it's Fog and Ice, where he's talking to Serafina. And we were shocked because we just watched a TV show where Lee falls on Lyra's, Lyra's side immediately and doesn't move from it and never questions it. So we were shocked to read it and find that actually in the book, he kind of ums and ahs about where he stands, and like you said, he wants to go home. He wants to, he wants to be paid because he's got bills to pay and all that kind of stuff. But then I think the fact that he does end up on Lyra's side and ends up with those like fatherly feelings for her kind of makes it better in a sense because like he's con- like whereas like Yorick and like Coram, have just, as much as we love both of them, they've just kind of been there for Lyra from the beginning, no questions asked. Whereas, like, it kind of makes it, it makes me like Lee even more to know that he had, like, a bit of turmoil about it, but then in the end actually decided the right thing, like, to be Mm. with Lyra and on Lyra's side.
1: Yeah, it was the moment Lyra got Yorick's armor back for him that he was like, I would die for you. Up until that point, I feel like he could have, like, taken her all after been like whatever you're just some like pup child like I don't super care because he was so stuck in his own his own drama of like not having his armour and like Mm. feeling quite hard done by but like the moment she got that back for him he was like ride or die you're my girl this is it yeah I think we should probably get into some of our listener submissions and questions because
0: we've been talking for almost an hour wow (laughs) I know We have a question from Instagram from I think it's Kian or Kyan. I'm going to say Kian. So, Kian Pebbles, who said, Which was your least favourite chapter and most favourite chapter to cover? Least favourite chapter two,
1: purely because I was not ready for that level of like world building exposition and like getting into the research side of it so early in the book. Like, if you'd have thrown that chapter at me, it was obviously needed where it was in the book for, in order for the book and the world to like flesh out and feel whole. But for me and my podcasting journey, it was like chapter one. Oh, it's so cute. Lyra's breaking all the rules. Chapter two. Oh my God.
0: There's geography to learn. (laughs) There's science. (laughs) Oh my God. What are we doing here? What is happening?
1: (laughs) Yeah. It was daunting. And then like, Obviously our readings and the way that we're running this podcast, it has been so much more character driven and we do care more about people's motivations than perhaps we do about like the geography of it all. Yeah. Or yeah, even like true. the socio political climates that are being amazingly woven and intricate and stuff, but we're not necessarily the best people to be
0: dissecting that. Yeah, totally. What was your what was your least favourite? <laughs> I had a similar answer to you, so probably the first few. Although like I loved starting our little podcast journey they were difficult because there's so much world uh, building and like new things to talk about we talked about so much that it's kind of hard to keep track of what's important to the plot and what isn't and it's much easier to talk about all these characters and what's happening in their world once you know more about them and you're in the flow of everything so like as we got towards the the middle and the end of the book you're comfortable with the characters you know exactly what's happening like on a from a personal side we were comfortable with a podcast format and how that worked and we kind of like worked out a few like kinks that maybe we had with it and we were kind of in a nice flow so i think yeah it was like i it's not like i disliked those chapters but it was difficult to to get through in a sense of what can we say what can't we say how far do we go into it that kind of stuff favorite chapter
1: which I've just realized now is like my favorite. It's not even one chapter, it's two, because it encompasses the end of The Lost Boy and the beginning of Fencing. It's Lyra's whole interaction with Tony Makarios and his devastating story. Because for me, when we covered that, that was like a really emotional thing for me to cover because it's always been the bit of the books that impacted me the most. And then also like I completely didn't realize that Tony doesn't die until Fencing. Mm -hmm. He's like, we finish and Lyra's like, literally only just found him. And I kind of had in my head, like, such a big event, put it into one chapter. But covering those was quite cathartic, I thought, because I got to kind of like discuss the emotions that it made me feel and the anxiety that reading those chapters gives me in a way that felt really good. And that just celebrating how powerful that whole section of the book is for me. Mm-hmm. Because I don't feel that they necessarily do like a super amazing job of it in the TV show because it is quite altered from the books or in the film because I can't even remember if they have it in the film. That's been how long it's been since I've seen it. So it's <laughs> really, it was really nice to cover that, even if it was a horrible chapter to cover. <laughs> and it was when like Lyra, like fully like reality kind of slaps her in the face and like she's like, oh, this is
0: scary as fuck and really serious. Yeah. So yeah, sorry. What well, what was yours? <laughs> That's a really good one to say. Mine, I'm I'm gonna say my favourite chapter was armour. Just for that meeting was so good, <laughs> and like having the like the hijinks of like getting Yorick's armour back, and like having the like three of them together, like Lyra, Yorick, and Lee. When it's not super dark and super like cause, like obviously they're all together in the balloon towards the end but they know that like they're going towards something that that's going to be difficult and they're asleep most of the time so you don't really get to see them interacting so i really liked that um and then also just to like name drop a few favorite moments in the books because i can't remember the chapters they are from um oh i can but they like they're not it's not the whole chapter it's just like bits so yorick naming lyra lyra silvertongue because that yes. was my favorite bit <laughs> when I read it for the first time. That was one of the things that stood out to me that I loved. I loved seeing that in, in the TV show as well. And also, any time fucking Father Coram acted like Dad, <sighs> it, just war- <laughs> it just warmed my heart so much. Like Basically, anyone treating Lyra with the love and respect that she deserves makes me cry, because we, we don't see loads of it, especially in the beginning of the book. And I'm just like, I shouldn't be this emotional about somebody treating a child with the dignity and respect and love that they deserve, but here we are because she doesn't have a lot of that in her life
1: mm-hmm. oh my gosh speaking of things we missed I remembered after we did the chapter that like Mrs. Lonsdale the housekeeper the housekeeper the like the lady Lyra's that looks like Lyra's yeah, is, like yeah. main person who seems to do the like caring aspects in her life um I'm pretty sure we like never spoke about the fact that Lyra has a massive go at her for not caring she's like don't you know that I'm related to Roger Parslow oh yeah and we never really you, mentioned it
0: did we not surely we did I feel
1: like we didn't I feel like I remember after we recorded I was like damn but maybe we did I might need to maybe we
0: didn't it. go as much into it as you wanted to yeah
1: and then also there is a bit that we missed that somebody mentioned to me at comic-con of all places when I mentioned that I was covering the books and they were like don't you think it's really weird that Philip Pullman wrote that you could have a beautiful woman as your demon and then I've read since that the original iterations of the Master's demon were a beautiful young woman, mm-hmm. and it's been taken out in like later editions. So my edition has that you could have a woman as a human as your demon. Wow. Yeah. Whereas that, like later editions don't, because Philip clearly looked at that and went, "That's a bit too weird, isn't
0: it?" Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> so it's interesting that you mentioned that again because I was just listening. I'm listening to old old episodes. The bloopers for our patrons and you did mention that because i i just listened to you mention it Ah, uh, well then the, from comic-con yeah oh, oh amazing yeah shout out again but no it's super interesting like can you imagine can you imagine the books if you could have a human as your demon i don't think i'd be as, as into them no it'd be super weird it's just like a, a bonus character which
1: i guess is what pan is but like the reason i'm cool with it is because he's a cute animal
0: <laughs> yeah and also, it'd just be weird, like, having, if you're a man, having a woman as your demon, like, that doesn't sit well with me.
1: Yeah, just generally having another person. But then, like, demons are people, but they're not because they're part of one person. Yeah. it's a- It becomes a really confusing dynamic if you make a demon humanoid. It becomes a really confusing
0: dynamic. True. Definitely.
1: Okay. We, we should probably discuss one of the things we've had the most emails about. I think we've had two mm-hmm. emails that kind of address it. Yeah, an amazing email from our listener David who. Two amazing emails. Two amazing emails from <laughs> David who, I would I would call this in defense of Azrael, and he does a his email is brilliant because he doesn't say you're wrong. Azrael's great, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's just really interesting to bring on board opinions of Asriel that we've kind of expressed a little bit in terms of his motivations. And a lot of these things come through when you go beyond the trilogy. And obviously, we're not going beyond the first book here. So we're kind of only analyzing the interactions we've had with him and Lyra in Mm -hmm. Northern Lights. And a lot of the sympathy that you can feel for him perhaps will grow as his character develops as you learn more about him. But a lot of what David was saying is to do with Azrael's motivations as opposed to being he's not being a nice man, which we're all aware he isn't in the way that he treats children and subordinates. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read like a couple of little paragraphs from David's email because I think that's the best way to kind of yeah, yeah. get this point across. So <laughs> firstly, which I love, I'm sort of not entirely defending him. I think it would be impossible to even vaguely suggest that he's a good father. I think he's egotistical, arrogant, and obsessed with his own power. Agree, David, agree. We agree. <laughs> but given he's been stripped of power, rank, and title by the courts and church, and the church is already too interested in Lyra, passing himself off as her uncle might have actually been to protect her through those years. I think the court church experience that he has had driven his life's work to bringing down the church he becomes obsessed and it consumes him but I'd say it was the church's actions against him and Lyra which motivates him throughout my take on that is that perhaps Asriel's drive behind his obsession that is what makes him so motivated slash cruel um slash driven slash ambitious all of these things is perhaps the slight that was occurred on him because of the fact that the church is against him. And Mm -hmm. we know that Lyra has been like hidden in Jordan. And we know that there's like this controversy around her parentage and that Lyra was being kept away from Coulter and the master couldn't prevent it, all this stuff. And maybe that it's the like prejudices and the hardships that have been put on Asriel that have given him this drive to like be so obsessed with bringing down the church.
0: I, I agree with that completely. The only bit that I actually don't agree with is that Ly- uh, is Lyra coming into it. So I think that obviously, yeah, he's been stripped of his power rank and title by the courts, as David said. Which obviously anyone would hold a prejudice against the person or collective government body or whatever that did that to you. You would, you just would. I don't blame him for that at all. But I personally, and like, no offense, David or like anyone that also thinks this. I think it's a bit of a stretch saying that it's to protect Lyra because I don't I don't think he thinks about it that much, to be honest. That's fair. I do
1: think perhaps the decision to masquerade as Lyra's uncle was in part to protect her. That's the bit that I can kind of get behind is that like I can see how that would be a safer
0: position for Lyra to be in. I, I see that, but I also see the other side of it, which is probably that he just wanted to pass off responsibility for her as well there is that too.
1: I also really enjoy that David kind of points out that we are quite harsh on Azrael, but oh, we do love Mrs. Coulter. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that we have been quite clear that Mrs. Coulter has been abhorrent and is an absolutely a villain in this, but we have this kind of level of respect for her that kind of, in part, probably comes from a really like 90s girl power kind of place. <laughs> a point that I can get on board with that he says is that Azriel's treatment of Roger is indefensible. He's not even going to try, but the greater good might be used as an excuse. The sacrificing of a single child to end the church's destruction of souls, lives, and happiness could be seen as worthwhile. Mrs. Coulter, though, is enthusiastically maiming and killing children simply to stop them becoming adults with desires, knowledge and free will. This seems to me to be actually evil rather than Asriel just being amoral in the pursuit of his wider goals. I do kind of agree with that. I, I agree do think with that. There's like a sadistic level of pleasure that Mrs. Coulter takes that Azriel does not have because his cruelty is almost more like blinkers. That blind him from being able to have empathy for other people beyond his very yeah. like pointed ambition.
0: I also completely agree with that. I agree with the whole greater good thing. Uh, I I agree that like although it was what Azrael did to Roger was horrendous, I can see his thinking in the in in like why he did it. He could have just been a bit fucking nicer about it. But <laughs> right, so we've spoken about this before and. I agree that we've been harsher on Asriel than Mrs. Coulter, but I think it goes back to what we've said in previous episodes. We can appreciate Mrs. Coulter as being a great villain and question her motives and her backstory as that character, whereas Asriel's painted as a hero throughout the books until the last minute. So we're like... I feel like you have that relationship with a villain where you can be like, fucking yes, what a great villain, and that's what we've said about Mrs. Coulter, whereas like with Asriel... I just I've got a real fucking bee in my bonnet about him being painted as a hero. And like I think on on a personal note, I'm very triggered by shitty abusive men, like whose abusiveness like flies under the radar. Cause like nobody else is calling out Asriel on his shit. Like on how he's treat Lyra or how he's tret Mrs. Coulter, regardless of Mrs. Coulter being evil or whatever we think about her in their relationship, he clearly tried to like shit. So, like, if the thing is, like, with Asriel, if I ask you to, like, maybe not you, because you might say the same thing as me, but, like, if you ask the average person about Asriel, like, if you say, oh, what's the first thing that comes to your brain about him, they'd probably say, like, oh, he's an explorer, he's Lyra's dad, he's really clever, he's a genius, it would never be, he's a physical and emotional abuser. He is a nasty man. Yeah. Which he absolutely yeah. is, and he gets away with it.
1: Definitely. I think it's, I think it's really interesting to look into how, like, you could view Azrael as this like broader great person who is doing these like big things and it's really easy to look at someone as the big picture that is created around them. This is kind of like taking a tangent away from David's email but if we look at any historical figure who is like a big person they are as a human being existing in a life having like interpersonal relationships inevitably flawed just Mm -hmm. because you are like a big historical figure who's made an impact for whether it's like the greater good or pushing a cause further in a direction amazing globally societally in terms of like human evolution if you've done something big you've done something big but that does not make you a good person yeah for example you could take someone like Alexander Hamilton (laughs) there's which is obviously, we're big Hamilton, like the musical fans in this, in this room, mm-hmm. but it's very, it's very clearly laid out. He cheated on his wife. He like has done some very questionable things. A lot of the founding fathers who can like hold up on these massive pedestals were slave owners. Yeah. um, There's so many like big characters like Churchill said some real questionable things. But everyone mm-hmm. is so willing to like be like, this person did such a big thing for the world in general. We will overlook all of the small things they did or of their broader opinion, if they had a mini opinion that didn't align with my views, I'll ignore the mini opinion that was mm. their racism or like misogyny because overall their impact on the world brought us forward in a positive way. Totally. But you can't ignore those flaws. So no. whilst I do think Azrael is in air quotes, a great man who I'm sure is going to do or is aiming to do great things for the world. I don't think that makes him necessarily a good person.
0: <laughs> Tangent. I think I completely agree with that. And one of the things that I wanted to add just about our thoughts around Mrs. Coulter before we maybe dive back into David's emails is that you have briefly mentioned it, but I think with Mrs. Coulter, we relate to her more Because, like you mentioned, as women, we kind of relate to that struggle to gain power or the upper hand in a situation. And, like, in no way am I condoning what she does, but I admire her for, like, seeking what she wants against all odds. Like, she wasn't allowed the power that she wanted through the church. So she went about getting it a different way. And I just, I appreciate that determination and, like, the fact that she demands respect and she gets it without question. And it's really great to see that in a female character, like regardless of her actions, it's just good to see.
1: Yeah, I think that's it. It's like, whilst she's doing reprehensible things, the way she conducts herself aside from the clear sociopathy is like the way she commands a room is admirable because it's not something you often get to see in a character, in a female character, Mm, the way that they're written. And there is an intense desire in me to read her a version of her where she doesn't do atrocious things doesn't commit atrocities because then I would love her even more <laughs> but as it stands yes she's 100% a villain a villain that I can get behind loving to hate because yeah. she is nuanced as well in a way where like it's almost like as real as you're told he's a hero and his nuances are the fact that he's not as much of a hero as you think yeah and Coulter is a villain and her nuances are she's not as villainous as you think <laughs> like there's a level of sympathy within her and it's like yeah. the same structure but mirrored for the two of them yeah totally a lot of david's email refers to asriel and Coulter in their relationship to the church and how one of them has found their power from within the church and one of them has found their power by opposing the church and i yeah. think that's quite it's very big picture i think as well um yeah. which is something that I perhaps struggle to do chapter to chapter.
0: Yeah, totally. There's there's a good paragraph here that I'll just read out um, from David, which talks about that. So he says, Power though. Mrs. Coulter mar- married into power. Mr. Coulter had power. Asriel had power. That didn't end well with one dead, the other stripped of power and money, hence the church, this will source of power. Asriel, with his titles and lands stripped, goes off adventuring using his class-based privilege to rebuild his influence and embarks on a lifelong vendetta against those who wronged him. That path corrupts him, as her pursuit pursuit of power through the church corrupts Mrs. Coulter, although I rather think the church's church's pervasive influence will have done a lot to deny her nature beforehand. After all, churches have a rather unhealthy obsession with sex. That's why uh, the church and Mrs. Coulter wants to end dust, to end knowledge of sexual desire, the everlasting obsession of the church, and especially women's sexuality, of course. That's why she has pan look away during the bath. Your nature should be denied. But that's interesting because we've talked a lot about Mrs. Coulter and her sexuality and her like denying her sexual desire. And I think that that paragraph that I've just read from David kind of links it back into power and how it can be related to power. And I just, I do think his... And David says Mrs. Coulter married into power and she did through Ms. Mr. Coulter but like she married into power like through the through the church and like through other things and like she literally has like dedicated her entire life to like gaining power however that might happen because I don't think that she, uh, she that she grew up thinking hmm do you know what I want to do I want to sever children uh, sever children from the demons I, I think she grew up thinking I want power and I'm gonna get it from doing this thing in the church and the magisterium that nobody else will do because they're too scared to do it. And that's how I will get my power because I'll do that thing that nobody else will do, regardless of what it is. I think she would have done anything. It's one of
1: the few ways that I can force my way onto the table because Mm -hmm. people aren't making space for me at the table because it's very clearly a patriarchy. Mr. Coulter and Asriel have had power handed to them. Asriel's vendetta against the church is as a result of his power being stripped away by the church whereas mrs coulter's like climbing within the church is her only way of getting power in the world in which she has been born into which is steeped in patriarchy yeah definitely yeah i really love that interpretation of the two of them and also (laughs) kind of viewing asriel's um vendetta against the church it is quite selfish it is very revengey it is very yeah oh you took away my wealth and money so i'm just gonna come after you because i think i can (laughs) which um maybe reduces it and boils it down to like a level of pettiness that isn't Mm. there because he does have these grand goals yeah but i do think he may not have done those grand goals in quite such the same way if he hadn't have lost that
0: wealth and power and status Mm yeah totally i want to end like the discussion of david's emails by just this last paragraph that he said so i can't see Azrael as evil i see him as deeply flawed inspired by hatred of the oppression of the church and using his privilege to achieve his ends by any means that doesn't make him a nice person i wouldn't vote for him but not evil mrs Coulter's actions i see as more evil but i see her as more of a victim of societal structures and i think that kind of Really does encompass both of them, I think. Um, that's such a good descri- uh, description of the two of them. And I really agree with it. And, like, David, thank you so much for sending in those emails. We do go off about Asriel, and especially me. But I think it's more, like you said, Rich. it's more of those, like, smaller attributes of him, like his emotional abuse of Mrs. Coulter and his physical abuse of Lyra. Not that those are small in any way, they're, they're horrific, but I think, David, you have kind of looked at it from more of a big picture thing and i think a lot of the things that you're saying are completely right but for me at the minute I'm, I'm still kind of reading into his character as and when it happens on the page maybe like when we finish the trilogy we'll be able to see more of that overarching view of, of asriel but right now he's still a nasty man for me <laughs> <laughs>
1: i think so i think it's really interesting and important to make sure that as we're reading a lot of the chapters and we're analyzing a lot of the details on the like micro level that we do maybe take that step back and being being like so with his callousness against Roger being like big picture though he thinks he's saving a lot of lives yeah and kind of having that moment to just question how those very like small decisions that the characters are making in the moments that we're analyzing might impact the broader scale of things and I think that's going to be really interesting going forward as an extra dimension to how we go about viewing things
0: totally. So off the back of that, we've had a similar email from Felicia, which I'm going to read out too. And we've probably covered a lot of this stuff in the points that we've raised from David's email, but there might be some more things that we want to chat about. So We bloody love an email, so of course we're going to read it out. We bloody <laughs> love an email, yes. So... Felicia said, hi Faye and Rachel, I just wanted to drop a quick note as I've really enjoyed your podcast, thank you. Thank you. It is truly the only regular thing I've had to look forward to during quarantine, so thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. you. It's the regular thing I've had to look forward to too. Same, yeah, same, (laughs) same. So after watching the HTM show at the start of quarantine, I reread the series for the first time since I was 10 years old. I'm 25 now. I was completely blown away by the books again and desperate to keep nerding out about them when I stumbled upon your podcast and have been listening to episodes while I'm out walking my dog, in brackets, demon, Hank, ever since. Oh, Yay, hi Hank! Hank. <laughs> anyway, I've especially enjoyed hearing your thoughts on Mrs. Coulter and Azriel. During my reread, I was totally enthralled by their characters in a way that I definitely wasn't when I was ten. I completely agree that as- Asriel is THE WORST, in all caps, but also remember how much the ending shocked me as a kid, as I believed Lyra's take on him the whole time. Oops. Also, not sure if it was due to Ruth Wilson's incredible portrayal or what, but Mrs. Coulter has easily become my favourite character this time around, despite her being a completely awful human and all. I've been thinking a lot about how her motivation to work for the Ablation Board has to stem from her shame from the Asriel affair slash having Lyra, right? I think you guys may have touched on that possibility in an episode, but would love to hear more of your thoughts on her backstory, uh, her motivations and character arc as a whole in the wrap-up episode.
1: Love it. <laughs> love it. Um, I definitely would love to delve more into the idea of Mrs. Coulter and her motivations. So if we were just discussing Azriel's motivations being the fact that he felt wronged by the, his power being stripped as a result of this affair, Mrs. Coulter's motivations may come from less of a revengy place and more of a shamey place. Yeah. Totally. I imagine she as a woman growing up in this very church, heavily church controlled society has been told to deny so many of her instincts and been told to hate herself and been told to feel this shame. And I definitely think that when you bottle shame up inside of yourself, it kind of comes out as venom
2: against other
1: people. And I definitely think that her affair and having Lyra have been massive factors in it. Mm. Which, again, builds me a more sympathetic picture of Mrs. Calder, despite the fact she's doing horrendously evil things. Yeah. I just see a lot more nuance in it because I feel like she lost, had the potential to lose more than Asriel ever did because of, I think if you took everything away from him, he'd still always land on his feet because he's a man in a
0: patriarchy. Yeah, totally. And I think as well, um, there was probably, so her marrying Mr. Coulter and then having that affair, I kind of see that as like, that's probably the only time in her life where she's probably actually given in to like her sexual desire. And with Azriel, like they obviously had an attraction. Obviously we don't know what happened with uh, her husband, but there was something between her and Asriel that she gave into. She gave into that sexual desire for Asriel. And then again, kind of like Buffy, she was punished for that by having... Her husband died, her husband got murdered, and then and then she had Lyra. And like I'm not saying that um her having Lyra was a punishment for her affair, but she gave Lyra up and then had to live her life without her daughter. And I think it's very like I'm drawing that parallel between obviously Buffy and Angel and Angel turning into Angelus when Buffy has sex with Angel. It's like as soon as you're if you're a woman and you give into your sexual desire, something bad will happen to you. Yeah. I definitely think we don't
1: get a lot of detail on the relationship between Mrs. Coulter and Mr. Coulter but we get the impression that Mr. Coulter isn't the nicest guy because of the fact that he comes after Azriel and Lyra in a rage mm-hmm. with a weapon we know that Azriel killed him in defense of himself and Lyra so you get the impression that perhaps their relationship Mrs. Coulter's relationship was purely a ladder climbing exercise potentially married to somebody that Probably wasn't a super great person if he's going to come after a a baby, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. And so I definitely think she's internalized the, like, shame of the affair and the consequences of it in a completely different way to Asriel. I think hers is coming out, yeah, venomously as opposed to, like,
0: self-righteously and ragily, like Asriel's is. Totally. And just, like, in in terms of backstory, I'm so intrigued by it, or, like, the lack of backstory. Like, I... We need that call to prequel. Like, what were her parents like? Does she have any siblings? Does she have any friends growing up? Does she have any friends now? Like, one, one of the questions we had on Instagram or Twitter, I can't remember which, was if
1: you could have a spin-off series slash fan fiction about any characters, what would it be? We've just yeah. answered that question right now. 100% it would oh, be absolutely. a Mrs. Colter backstory. Yeah, that question yes. was from,
0: that was from our friends at the Dark Material podcast, I think, wasn't it, that question? Hi, guys. I think it may well have been. Um, yeah, absolutely, Mrs. Coulter. Yeah. And so we've got one more email and then a voice message, which I'm very excited for you guys to hear. Um, so I, there's this email from, I think it's pronounced Ashilda. Uh, sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. Ashilda has only just started listening. So they've only listened to our first episode, but what they said, one of the things that they said in this email was so interesting. I just wanted to, to read it out. So they, said that they got into the His Dark Materials stuff via the Xbox game, Golden Compass.
1: I love that.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> then the movie, then the books later on, after which point I completely left it alone until the Book of Dust came out. So I bought that, read it, then realised I should probably read the first three of the books again, which I did a few weeks later. He said, uh, they said, having said that, I still have a place in my heart for the movie canon. as a separate work from the books. I'm starting the BBC series and I feel just the same way about that. It's very different, but I still like it overall. And I think that's so great, like, that they came to it via the Xbox game. I just, I love it because, like, I kind of completely didn't,
1: I knew there was a video game because I spotted it on, like, the Reddit thread and I've spotted it, like, referenced in other things or I think, like, some of the same voice actors were used in the video game as actors from the show or voice Mm. actors from the
0: from the movie I really want to play that game (laughs) I know right (laughs) totally amazing I love that I love the different ways that people have come to the series
1: I also love the idea of I always think of it this way because I always get if I've read a book before I watch a movie adaptation or tv adaptation of that book I'm usually disappointed because there's usually so much world building in a book there's so much detail in a book that you physically just cannot get into a tv show there's so or or a film there's so much that you just can't fit and so you're inevitably going to have your heart broken a little bit by that adaptation or feel a bit angry that it's not done a service to the thing that you've dedicated hours to reading totally whereas I feel like if i have watched the film first and I read the book after it's like I'm getting bonus content Mm. it's like I'm like oh It's a deleted scene that I didn't know about. And I'm kind of like reading and finding out more. And that feels so much more exciting than the disappointment of watching a beloved thing adapted. (laughs) Not 100% how you viewed it in your head, which it was never going to happen. Like you can't make brain movies. It doesn't work.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So I kind of
1: love the idea of coming to it from the video game and then the film. Yeah. It's so interesting. Right.
0: I love that. I love
1: that. I want to know the mechanics of that game. Do you get to read the alethiometer?
0: Oh, yeah. Do you get to play as just Lyra, or, like, do you get to play as different characters? I'd love to... It'd be, it'd be really cool to play Jorik. Yes. Like, playing Joric in the fight with the offer That would be so cool. That would be intense. Yes. That would be... Should, I mean...
1: Would it be gory enough in a video game? Would it be too gory? I don't I mean, know. I'm imagining when, it like
0: Mortal Kombat. <laughs> but also, when did the game come out? It'd be very pixelated gore, I would imagine. Yeah, that's like 2006, maybe? I don't, yeah. I don't know. When came a out. long time ago. So, shall we wrap it up with our listener questions and comments with this voice
2: note? Hello Fein Rachel, Uh, this is Lo and I wanted to send you this message for your wrap-up episode on Northern Lights and ask your thoughts about uh, race and ethnicity and culture in Northern Lights and also how the Magisterium plays into all of that. Basically, I wanted to ask you what you think about how race and ethnicity etc. are handled in the books. What evidence we see of racism and xenophobia? Can we see some parallels between colonialism and the magisterium, do you think? And what are the differences to our world? So big question, I know, but I just wanted to send it to you anyway. And thank you so much for the wonderful podcast. Uh, Bye. Oh,
0: Thank you so much for sending a voice note, Lo. It's so great to hear your voice.
1: Yay.
0: I think um, such a good question. And I can't speak to everything that Lo has said and asked because I'm not educated enough on the subject, but I do have some thoughts. So they asked, can we see parallels between colonialism and the magisterium? And I think absolutely. I think we definitely can. I think... We see it in Mrs. Coulter's like charming of Eufer Rachnussen to basically do her bidding for her. I think that their like infiltration of Svalbard would have happened regardless of whether Lyra showed up there or not. Like they obviously wanted to get the bears on their side and harness the bears power and with Yfer wanting to be human so badly, it wouldn't have been difficult for the Magisterium to gain political power over Svalbard through him, definitely, and there's some real parallels be- to be drawn there um
1: that probably mirror things that have happened in our history, probably in a way that might feel a bit too real. Um, Mm. I do think uh, the way that race and ethnicity is handled in the books is quite interesting because we know that Philip Pullman thinks of himself as a magpie. He does tend to pull influences from our world historically um, to bring into Lyra's world. And quite often that involves taking like a turn of phrase that was used Quite a long time ago, a lot of the geography of the world is based on like pre-colonial maps or like much older boundaries that we've had on maps that have changed significantly over time. And so occasionally terminology is used that wouldn't necessarily be super great today because of historically where Phillips plucked those words from.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think there's reference to the Samoyed people and that's not a phrase that's used today. It's not considered group of people who it's referring to do not appreciate that. Mm. Um, It's a lot of the native peoples of Russia. The way I think that a lot of the like racial microaggressions occur from our beloved characters in this world show a lot about the way that the magisterium's colonialism is so pervasive. It is very, the way you hear like Lyra and the kids talking about the Tartars And they're like, oh, do you hear that they scout people? Do you hear they drill holes in heads? It's a very like, oh, these people are so different to us. We're going to think of them as completely alien to us. And, oh, it's so barbaric. All this kind of like rhetoric is so based around white colonialism and the way that kids being brought up by like a white colonial society would probably think about native peoples, peoples different from them, people of different ethnicities. Because and it just it the fact that it shows in the children and the way the children talk about people Mm -hmm. is really kind of hits at home how early it hits people in the books as well
0: totally yeah no absolutely and we're kind of led to believe a similar thing like especially around the tartars and like you mentioned the um i can't what's the name of the process trepanning trepanning we're kind of like we go on that journey with the kids when they're talking about it and being like oh my god this is like what these people do and it's strange and weird and whatever and then i think it's when we meet lee scoresby right that he tells like it's when him and lyra are talking in the balloon he tells yeah. them more about it and, and and tells her that um it's actually something that is like a great honor in their culture to to have that done to them and then like he goes into a bit more about why they do that um which sheds a bit more light on it uh, but i also think as well that we see a lot of it with egyptians so, we see, like, I suppose, parallels to racism and classism with Egyptians and the lower income children, uh, with them going missing and the police not really giving a shit. I think there's, um, at page 45, it's Lyra's Jordan. It says that the police were stirred into reluctant action because of the kids going missing. And there's enough children going missing that they've been stirred into action. And I think we hear about We hear about the police raiding their boats without any explanation. Like, where's your fucking warrant, mate? And then again, uh, I think in my book, it's page 113. um, It's John Farr, the chapter. It says, if if Egyptian body floated ashore down the coast or got snagged in a fishnet, well, it was only Egyptian.
1: Yeah. And we kind of talked about it at the time, but then if we're thinking of the Egyptians as a parallel to a lot of the Roma people and travellers in our world, it is a really, you look at the hardships that Philip's written into the Egyptians' backstory, there is a real parallel there and there is a real commentary on the way society treats the Egyptians considering when Lyra's taken into the Egyptian culture and she's kind of like taken into that family, all it exudes is like warmth and family and love except for that bloody Raymond van (laughs) Gerrit. And like, I do love that he kind of, shows that these people that love Lyra so strongly and that we grow to love and we grow to feel like such a connection to he is just like they're not being treated well and you know Mm. that and I'm gonna put a few paragraphs here and there just to remind you if you think that you're forgetting that the Egyptians are not insiders in society they are very much subjugated
0: by the societal structures in this world definitely I think as well, like because it, obviously we see in the book that the police are doing fuck all to find these kids, so the Egyptians, they take it on themselves to do it. The police aren't doing enough, so they they do it themselves. And I think we can draw a lot of parallels with, what, with what's happening in the world right now, with fucking brutal police killings everywhere and the people actually taking it on themselves to try and do something about it and to try and change the system. And the Egyptians have done a very similar thing in the sense that they were just like, you know what? if we want something fucking done, we're going to have to do it ourselves because the police are not here mm-hmm. to help us. Definitely. Thank you so much, love for, for your question. Like we appreciate you and taking the time to record a voice note so we can hear your lovely voice is great. And they did actually what they sent us was actually a lot longer and it has some really great points in there. We've kind of picked out the points that we feel uh, confident enough to speak on. Um, But if anyone does want to hear Lur's full voice note, give us a shout because we'd be happy to share it on on socials if if Lur's happy with that. So just let us know. Thank you, Lear. But yeah, thank you so much. We appreciate it. And and thank you you to everyone that has sent in an email or sent us a tweet or whatever, uh, sent us an Instagram message. We've loved talking about all this stuff. And hopefully you folks have enjoyed listening to us ramble on for whatever time we're on now. Oh, okay. I've got a question for you. Okay.
1: If we could revisit any part of the books, any chapter of the books, and ask Philip to write like three more chapters surrounding it to like flesh out that area of the world, what would you choose? Where would
0: you want to go back to and get Philip to rewrite? I'd like to, I keep going back to this just because I loved those chapters so much, but I'd like to see more of Trollshund and kind of vibe in that area a little bit more and have a bit more like chill fun time in the middle of the book i'd also like to spend a bit more time in oxford i think uh just kind of like getting to know how a bit more how lyra lived when she was there and like what her day-to-day looked like because we, we don't actually spend that much time in oxford and i'd love to spend more time with egyptians because i bloody love the egyptians but yeah sorry you asked me for one thing and i gave you like three that's fine <laughs> i have one thing my one thing would
1: be Bloody ice bears. <laughs> I want to go back to Svalbard. Oh, We spent like yeah, that's not fair. very long in Svalbard at all. I want to find out how well the she bears are being treated. Yes. I want to find out more about what was Jofor Ragnarsson's society? How were the bears living? Was it oppressive? Was it that bad? They seemed confused, but was it was it being progressive in a good way? Was it going in a good direction or just a different direction? What's Yorick's society? What are his goals and ideals for his people like is he just going to be a different kind of dictator which we hope he's not because he's such a lovely bear dad but like is he gonna free the she bears from their weird <laughs> enclosure like I want to know what pre what Yoffa bear society looks like and I want to know what Yorick bear society looks like because we only got to see like a dungeon a throne room and a fighting arena there's so much like I want to what what's yeah. a day in the life of an average bear <laughs> Ah, oh,
0: yeah. What do they do for funsies? Yeah. Do they have did they have sports? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I would definitely like to see what has happened on there, on the Svalbard now that Yorick is in charge. Like, what does the... Does he have, like... Does he have a... Will he have a bear castle? Like... Well, they were building an ice
1: structure. Yeah.
0: When, when we left
1: them. Yeah. After they didn't
0: recycle the old castle. Why did they tear it down? <laughs> but yeah that's a good one I would uh I would agree with you I'd like to see more on that as well I'd also love to go to Texas with Lee yes because
1: we've only heard about it from afar and I'd like to know what that looks like like the country of Texas is the country right yes and it's in New Denmark yeah which is the like wider like is New Denmark the equivalent of North America and Texas I think so America. I need to look at the the Philip what like map to get my head around it. Yeah, but like, what's life like across the pond in Lyra's world? Mm. How have the parallels worked on different continents with the way that the technology looks and the fashion looks and all that kind of stuff? Because I imagine they're quite different and. I love Lyra's world. I want to spend more time there, but I think that Lyra's just walked over a bridge. Sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, are we even going to get any more time in Lyra's world? Who knows? I don't know.
1: Oh. <laughs> I will say I'm excited at the prospect of potentially meeting Serafina Peckler again. I do hope it happens.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. that is a good point, actually. I do, I do hope that we see more of the witches and how they live and more about the different clans and more about Seraphina's clans and yeah cuz i think like you said we didn't we didn't get a whole lot of them a whole lot of like information so that'd be nice we got them bigged up to be like a really cool
1: big thing and then they didn't do a lot hey they pulled a balloon they pulled the balloon <laughs> they got involved in fights i guess there was like we've had we know that they have different political leanings we've had witches on the side Of the Egyptians, we've had witches on the side of the gobblers. Like it's been, they're such an interesting people, but I feel like they're still so mysterious to us. Totally, yeah. I want to know more about witches. I want to get in there and
0: find out all the info about witches, definitely.
1: Oh, I have an interesting thing to bring up. It's completely sidetracked. I'm sorry. I went down a Reddit rabbit hole (laughs) and found out. Lots of people found Roger's death really confusing. One of the main questions that pops up, on the reddit for the northern lights slash the golden compass because that's what it is on reddit um is did did anyone else find roger's death really confusing and not even realize that he died (laughs) literally what we said yeah so at least we're not the only Uh we're not the only people but also another interesting finding differences between different versions of the books is in our version he falls down the hill there's a burst of energy the sky does a thing. Mm -hmm. It's clearly the distance of like them falling down the hill, which is what separates them and the shock kills him. Mm -hmm. In other versions, Stelmaria is holding Roger's demon in her mouth and Asriel holds a wire to Roger's demon and then all life goes out of her. While also Roger and Lara are falling down a hill. So it's not super clear in those versions whether it's Asriel touching Stelmaria with a wire, which then connects to his devices and clearly is part of what makes his experiment work, or whether it's the distance and Lyra falling down the hill. But some people say, oh, no, Philip wrote that in in order to explain how the energy was harnessed, because otherwise, how is that energy that's dissipating from Roger and his demon getting separated, how is that getting funneled into Azriel's contraption? Because surely it's just wafting off into the air. Yeah. And the wire explains it. But then some people are saying it sounds like the wire makes it seem like Asriel caused Roger's demon to die and therefore Roger to die and it kind of muddies up whether it's Lyra or Roger or Lyra or Asriel that kills Roger which is super interesting and also someone commented saying that they much preferred how it looked in the tv series because it's very
0: clear that it's all Asriel's fault. Mm. That is so interesting because that is I know that we've, like, highlighted some changes throughout the books, like Hairgate, Demongate, all that kind of stuff. But that's quite a big change to the text, to add that. Did anybody say what the extra line was, or did they just describe? They just kind of described it. So if you have a version of the books, apparently it's
1: in one of the audiobooks it does it. Mm. And also in one of the audiobooks, one of them is saying Lyra's holding Roger's body, and one of them says Lyra's holding Roger's dead body. And the difference makes it, like, clear or not clear as to whether Roger is actually dead or not, mm. um, which is really interesting. But I think there's various versions of that page and the events surrounding Roger's death, which is really interesting because it's something you could read so far into.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm so interested to hear that there's potentially an extra, li- a couple of lines added in about Azriel and uh, uh, Stelmaria. And with a mm. wire and shit, that's a big change to make. To add that in. I think I think it is. I think it's quite dramatic. And I don't know if
1: it's because someone pointed out, oh, how is he harnessing the power? And Philip went, Oh, I'll make him hold a wire up. Yeah. But if the presence of that wire makes it muddies the fault in whose fault whose mm. Roger's death is, that does change things quite a lot. So Definitely. if you have a version of the books where Azriel holds a wire up to Roger's demon in the moment that Roger dies, please take a picture of that page and send it to us. Yes. Because please do. I need to know what it says. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's so interesting. Mm. A fun question to finish on. Okay. Lyra gets given a doll in Bolvanger. Do we think that dolls in Lyra's world also have smaller dolls that are their demons? Oh,
0: oh my god, that's such a fucking cute question. Right? Surely, surely right? That's another one stolen from Reddit. Yeah, surely though, right? Because that's how they... That is humans in Lyra's world. Do you think it's like going to Bear Factory
1: or Build-A-Bear where you like you pick out the doll that looks like you and then you have to pick out your
0: doll's personality by choosing the oh. demon of your doll? Maybe. Oh, that'd be so cute because you could like go in, do you know, like you go in Bear Factory and you put, like you said, you you pick out your little bear or your little animal and then you pick out a smaller animal and then you, you put hearts in them both, right? Well, you put
2: a tiny yeah.
0: little heart in a tiny <laughs> little demon. Oh, it's so cute. But then like, would
1: you have to get multiple of the small, if, you're, if the doll that you've got is supposed to be a child,
0: <laughs> would you then have to buy multiple smaller <laughs> demon dolls? Uh, maybe they'd be like little Transformers. And they just, like, transform into, like, different... <laughs> but, yeah, like, surely they would come with little demons, right? Because that's like, that's, like, us saying, if you think about dolls in our world, that's, like, saying... Yeah, like, Barbie comes without her own head. Yeah, because, like, yeah. demons are so much part of the humans in Lyra's world that surely it would just be... It wouldn't even be a question as to whether they would be there. They would just would. Yeah. I also think... Do we really think that there would be that many dolls and cuddly
1: toys in lyra's world if kids all have demons that can turn into fluffy animals that they can hug yeah probably not right do demons have toys like if your demon enjoys being a cat do you buy it cat toys well then this is the can thing. you play with it but then your demon is like a person so maybe yeah. like playing like a cat would be patronizing
0: and then this is the thing we i think we got into it in like the very first episode do they eat do they poop like What's the functionality? Yeah. <laughs> what are their bodily functions? Who knows? Will we find out? I don't know.
1: I really enjoy that we've just brought the entire podcast full circle yeah. back hey. to where we started, Do Demon's Poo.
0: Oh, we're ending Northern Lights officially on Do Demon's Poo.
1: <laughs> we love it. Uh, We really hope that you enjoyed this little wrap-up episode. It probably felt a little bit chaotic compared to usual Mm. because we danced around lots of topics and tried to cover lots of emails. Um, Hopefully we've not missed anything major. If we have, we bloody love an email. Tell us your thoughts. (laughs) Tell us. It's never too late. It's
0: never too late. Thank you to everyone that wrote us an email or got in touch with your thoughts on Northern and and your questions for us. We really appreciate it. We've loved doing this book, and it's been great. And yeah, we hope you enjoyed this wrap-up. And like Rich said, we kind of just uh, – book episode episodes are quite structured, and we did have a rough structure for this, but we've kind of just, like, let ourselves free, and we've just spoken every about everything that we wanted to speak about without having too much of a structure. So I hope it's it was okay to follow, and it wasn't yeah. too chaotic. I think when we were like, and let's schedule a wrap-up episode,
1: we were like, that'll be easy. We'll talk about the book as a whole. And then we were like, oh, there's so many things that happen in this book. I'm sorry, I only deal with ch- it chapter by chapter now. I can't I can't do things as a whole. It's how I think now. Yeah. It's how I think now. So I really hope that we covered some stuff, that we didn't spend too long ranting about Asriel, although it does merit ranting. <laughs> I'm sure there's so much more we could talk about. You could have whole episodes on every single one of our favorite characters, um, on any of the characters. So I think as we're going through the books, there'll be loads more unpacking to do. But if we feel that there's somebody that hasn't cropped up again as we're going forward that needs a moment in the spotlight, I'm sure we'll pick them back out and have
0: a moment with them. So definitely. Yes. But yes, thank you for sticking with us through Northern Lights. We really appreciate it, and we hope you join us in the subtle knife because that's a new adventure.
1: Oh my god! I'm so excited. A whole new world. A whole new world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're all <Yes>. welcome. <laughs> wow! Amazing.
1: Yes don't forget if you want to join us for watching the golden compass film you can sign up to patreon at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod and you can join us on discord as we all press play at the same time and watch the film in time for not next week but the week after's episode where we'll be covering it after we've watched it Woo. Thanks so much for listening to this special episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HDM Pod. You can also email us at herdarkmaterialspod at
0: gmail.com. You can visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Northern Lights, I'm probably writing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lee, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E-Y-Y, and if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.ducker.
1: I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust, I'm making designer toys, art, and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at Rach makes, on Twitter at Rach makes, and I'm at online shop, rachemakes.co.uk. I've just done a shop update. Go and shop with me, it's really good. Yes, bye, Rach stuff, woo. A huge thank you to Johnny Knott
0: for his musical stylings. And we'll see you next week for the Lantern Slide. And don't forget, keep telling stories. And all will be well. forever, Northern Lights. We'll miss
2: you. Goodbye. We'll miss you. Bye.